Back in my day, it was this or new metal. In honor of turning red, who was or is your favorite boy band? I'm Katie Rich, and in 1999, I rode hard for I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys, and history has proven me correct. I'm Matt Patches. I can't say I've really ever been into a boy band other than Together, the fake boy band created God by MTV. That was starring exactly Kevin Farley, the brother of Chris Farley. Ha! I beat you to the obscure pop culture touchdown. Hey, it's me, David the Seven, and uh, according to my music app, the answer is the Jackson Five. Uh, and I am David Ehrlich, and now that Patches has so stolen the correct answer, <laughs> I will pivot to the song Pop Goes My Heart for Music and Lyrics, whatever Hugh Grant's band is called, uh, or <laughs> group, I guess band is too fanciful a word. Iconic song, I believe, written by the late Adam Schlesinger. Um, High probability which, of that. Uh, yeah, uh, what a talent that guy was. What a loss. Um, anyway, lovely song, great movie. Starting, ignite. Starting, reset. Starting, ignite. Starting, reset. Families of Forest are mostly dancing. We have over 30,000 families competing tonight. Are you ready? Stay in sync. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 383. It's pandemic 103. It is the week of Wednesday, March 9th. That's the day that in 1959, Barbie made her debut at the American Toy Fair in New York. I think Toy Fair in 1959 was more chill than the Toy Fair that we all experienced at various points nope, in our nope. certainly <laughs> more drinking on the floor than was uh, allowed. Definitely I would imagine. whiter and more male. Uh, yeah, yeah. Been to Toy, it's, it's pretty, Toy it was, Fair recently. It's it it pretty male. There were, there were, it's uh, got to be less white now than it was then. Like, it just has to be. Bloggers of the 1950s roaming the, the <laughs> booths for scoops. Hey, is this our first look at? Barbie? Uh, is she in the movie? <laughs> oh, jeez. Is she in a is movie? Is she in a movie? Uh, like a 1959 toys had anything to do with movies. Hardy hard. Uh, <laughs> just TV shows, probably. All right. Uh, hello. <laughs> I My tweet deck column is just a picture of Tlenty Pumpkin Pie Gelato, which I gotta admit looks really good. This might be this is from Nepperbird tweeting at David and now I see it. And um I mean, that's the kind of listener feedback I'm looking for. <laughs> obviously anyone who's gonna take the time to I guess actually if anyone who buys Talenti on my uh, recommendation, the pumpkin pie flavor, might feel compelled to weigh in. So maybe it's not just the people who feel most strongly, but uh truly every response we have gotten, either in our reviews or on our Twitter, about Talenti's pumpkin pie ice cream has just been like a four star rave. Uh, well, does, are any of our reviews as good as this picture of Talenti Pumpkin Pie Gelato? All right, some of our reviews are. I don't know if any of our episodes are. Oh, uh, no, that's what I meant. <laughs> it's reviews. Um, we, uh, we do have one new review, if that's what you're trying to make me segue into. Um, yes, great. yes it is. Um, I know that's this part of the show, but it was hard to, <laughs> hard to understand if that's what you wanted from me in that situation. Um, <laughs> oh, we, we, have, we have one new review on the iTunes. 
store. I'm not sure if Dave is in any emails, but it's from man l uh, l i l m a n l e y e man lie. <laughs> they say I remember damage. I remember damage. <laughs> then escape. Then adrift in a David Ehrlich monologue for a long, long time. But I'm safe now. I found it again. He finally let Matt Patches finish his point about Dune. <laughs> but anyway, this is a good podcast. Also, <laughs> David is right about the Oscars. They have the same problem as baseball, that the Oscars are run by people who don't actually like the Oscars. Uh, too true, man, L.I. And unfortunately, we're recording this on Monday night, uh, March 7th. I was just reading a report. From the Hollywood Reporter, that suggests after all the Oscar nominees got together at their luncheon today that uh, the Academy's governors are not blinking on their plan. So at this point, I can Why only hope that one of because the pressure and people Steven are resigning said, and the, Fuck Steven you. Spielberg, Guillermo del Toro, everyone else just said, "Suck my suck a if fuck." Steven Spielberg could um, get asses in the seats and eyes on the broadcast, then maybe they'd listen to him. <clears throat> Wow. Damn. Um, Sorry, Ready Player One, Steven Spielberg. One of the winners will, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot to ask for someone to take a couple of seconds out of, you know, the most public moment of their entire existence to shame the Oscars who have just given them a, a trophy. Um, but who knows what'll happen? Uh, there are more important things in the world they could use that platform for if they do really want to cause change. Anyway, Dave, do we have any reviews on the, um, on the old email? We do have a review on the old email. Uh, here we go. Uh, this comes from Mac from South Africa. He writes, I got put onto the podcast a few years ago when Katie guessed it on the pan episode of This Had Oscar Buzz, where she excelled at the Garrett Headland versus Charlie Hunnanem versus Jai Courtney versus Aaron Taylor Johnson versus Boyd Holbrook game. Ever since then, I have been an avid listener and fan of all four of you. I especially love David being harsher than I am willing to be for fear of seeming crotchety. Thankfully, David wears crotchetiness as armor. Mm. I've always loved taking recommendations from the pod, but a few months ago, that backfired disastrously. I'm in university representing for the Gen Z listener base, but due to the pandemic, I watch lectures and write exams from home. In order to put myself into a serene headspace, a half hour before one of my final exams, I decided to watch an episode of The Babysitter's Club on Katie's recommendation. To my dismay, this was the episode in which one of the titular babysitter's grandmother passes away. Anyway, cut forward 30 minutes and I'm a weepy mess with tears staining my exam answers. Thankfully, I passed the exam, but if I hadn't, uh, the blood would have been on this podcast's hands. <laughs> that being said, well, I would fail an exam any time for one of my favorite podcasts. Oh, wow. Uh, Five star I wonder, uh, uh, What was this listener's name? Mac. Mac. I wonder if Mac knows my high school girlfriend, Ilza, who's somewhere in South Africa. A little older. Um, a little older than anyone. When people Gen-Z, ask right, that kind but... of question, do they think it's true like do you think it's possible that he knows her or are you just uh, i do not i do not think it's possible are you bragging I, that you I had a high imagine, school girlfriend or that she's in south africa uh, what is the point of, uh... I, I'm, what is the point <laughs> what's the point of anything Matt? i'm just trying you know just trying to, to make hey, a guy, connection i i i, I touched a boob in, in high africa. school okay i touched a boob that's well, what i okay. want to say i mean now you're now you're projecting i'm just uh okay you didn't trying to connect to our south african fan base um Neither here nor there, but uh, haven't spoken to her in about 20 years because I'm that old. But if you, if you meet someone named Ilsa in South Africa, you just tell her, her on the podcast. On a, on tell a, her to send chance. us an email. 
get on, get on the podcast. Um, if you would like to re- leave us a review and hear perfectly benign things about uh, my ex girlfriends <laughs> scattered across the world that Matt is then going to uh, throw me under the bus for mentioning, uh, go on iTunes, Fighting in the War Room, or like email us, Dave, at what's the email address? fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you. You the cooling man, you send you up. Reason cooling, nights and nine twos oh. All right. I am not the person to start on this. It's not a hot night, Matt. It's fear. Oh, that's what I'm feeling right now. That's why I'm the sweating. Air, the air is the air is thick with fear because you are near New Jersey, which is canonically the place that Gotham City would exist if Gotham City existed in America. Is that vengeance? Wait, really? Wait, wouldn't Gotham? Wouldn't Gotham just be New York? Yeah, uh, that's, that's what Metropolis I because DC and Metropolis live in the yeah, same but, place. So if you got to put a grimmier one that's across the uh, you so know, Gotham is Gotham is like New York. Although yeah. I mean, as far as the movies are concerned, Gotham even in in Batman versus Superman. I didn't get the sense that Gotham was like right over the Hudson River. I mean, I guess geographically Gotham would be Chicago or, or something along those lines, at least Pittsburgh or Philadelphia. But uh, yeah, in the Nolan movies, it is both Chicago well, and Pittsburgh. It's also, no, in the, in the Nolan movies, it's a different city in each film. <laughs> Very pointedly, I think. It's an interesting gambit, but uh, not, uh, you know, in, in the new Batman, it is a really uh, well- uh, a hodgepodge together amalgamation of of New York and London and Glasgow and Chicago and uh, pretty cool. It's the Batman. It is in theaters now. It has Robert Pattinson as the titular Batman. The Matt Reeves is directing the Batman. Patches, what 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 else is in this movie? Oh Jesus. Um. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about the Batman. Um, so much of this movie. I was joking to a colleague. There is a lot in the bed. Um, I feel like there's been a lot of TV showrunners lately to the point that this has become a meme where people go around and say that their television show is one long movie. It's just the episodes are breaking it up. Uh, and the Batman is the opposite. The Batman is one long television show that you sit through at a theater for three hours. It's like <laughs> eight episodes. There's so much. In the movie, that it, you know, for me, it got a little repetitive. It got a little, I, I did, I'm pretty torn on this movie. I'm excited to talk about it with all of you because I should be in the bag for the Batman. I'm probably a DC boy more than I am a Marvel kid. And uh, Aquaman, definitely on my top 10 of whatever year that came out. Uh, so I could be, mm-hmm. I could be seduced by the superhero, the capes. Um, but, and, and I'm a big fan of the Nolan movies to this day. I've rewatched them. They're good. Uh, what other Batman content has there been? I don't know. I'm, I'm I was ready for more Batman. Any kind of Batman? Batman. That one. That Batman I like. The Batman animated series. I'm a big fan of, and I was hoping the Lego Batman, the finest of all the Batman. You know what? I don't really like the Lego Batman that much. I don't like the Lego Batman either. What the fuck is wrong with you? I guess I just have a darkness in my heart that I'm waiting to be explored. The Lego the Lego Batman is, in all sincerity, my favorite Batman movie of any kind i would say my favorite batman property full stop if not for the uh warm place in my heart that batman the animated series has um <laughs> uh, and i was i was for the reasons of, of loving um the batman the animated series was pretty stoked to see matt reeves 
take this movie on because he talked a lot about the animated series in the lead up with his co-writers. And I'm also a big fan of his from the Planet of the Apes movies. I think he turned something around that was really sophisticated. And it's it's a kind of a strange thought to have while watching. And I had it during this movie, too. Even if I'm in the middle on it, I'm just like, wow, I'm watching a real movie here. Like, this isn't getting <laughs> farted out. Like, somebody thought about every piece of this. It's a really interesting. And you should that shouldn't really be. Like, all movies should be kind of like that on some level. But at this point where the biggest, biggest tentpoles are all commercial products made by committees and have house styles, um, even though I'm kind of just... The last time you got a new Batman, it was in a Superman sequel. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Sequel. It's nice to have a, like a singular vision, even if it's built around a property that's been rebooted a dozen times now. Um, so yeah, I went in like really excited, and I came out kind of just mystified that, um, that nothing, even with Matt Reeves, who I, I think did come in with a, a kind of singular vision. The, he hired Rick Frazier to, of, of Dune, and Rogue One and uh, better movies than that um, <laughs> uh, to come in and, and shoot the shadows, <laughs> shoot the shit out of this movie. Um, and he really wanted to do a detective story, and he did. And I will say I had a high bar to clear because, as everyone on this listening to this podcast knows, a big Murder, She Wrote fan. Uh, I do think Jessica Fletcher could have solved this mystery in, in the day, and uh, there's not a lot of detectiving uh, and sleuthing in this movie. It's a very strange, non-mystery detective story. But at least they wanted that element of it. Um, and Jessica Fletcher yeah. could have solved that mystery, but could Batman wear sweaters in Maine? This is the oh, absolutely. He could not. He could. Who has, he might have who a, has the He range? might have a motorcycle, but he could not ride a bicycle in the wind of a cab at Coke. <laughs> absolutely not. Only Jessica has the balance which, for such Which Nirvana stunts. song would, would follow Jessica Fletcher around as she uh, walked through Cabot Cove? Let me answer that at the end of this. I'm going to be thinking about this uh, throughout the segment. Next week's lightning round question. Um, Heart-shaped bus. This is my long-winded way of saying, like, there are so many pieces to this movie that I find interesting and so much art uh, built into it that I was surprised that the Batman trying to solve a string of murders from a Zodiac killer-like version of the Riddler and mingling with the seedy criminal underbelly that includes like the Penguin um, and, and Falcone, Carmine Falcone. There's just so many elements and she, he mingles with Catwoman and learns about her life that like it was a pretty flat experience for me. I didn't get a lot out of this and I'm not sure the movie is about anything, which it might be the most egregious choice that it's really just like Pulp Fiction, I suppose, but without any stakes. I just was not really into the momentum of the movie. I feel like they... Falc- I, I they don't say, know. They, they say Falcone a lot. If they say <laughs> Falcone a lot, they also meant to call him the Falcon. But I'm going to defer so to I'm Dave. So I'm like in the between gonna... here. Yeah, Dave, yeah. weigh in. Is it I mean, Falcone? They say Fal- it's Falcone. But it's not an it I at the end. Okay. It's Falcone? Yeah, it's Italian. Falcone. Yeah. Oh, didn't, you watch, Falcone. Yeah. didn't you watch Wait, House Falcone? of Gucci? Wait, Dave, is it Falcone? Yeah, I think it's Carmen Falcone. Falcone. It's Falcone. I needed okay. Jared Leto in there to really sell yeah. it. That's what was missing. <laughs> yeah. The Falcone. Um, um, uh, big yes. long Batman. I, I agree with a. It is a big long Batman movie. Um, but da- David, what what do you have to say on on counterpoint to that? Me? Someone asking me what I have yeah, to I'm say? Yeah, ra- I'm, <laughs> I'm ring mastering here. The superhero movie. <laughs> um, well, uh, I, so I thought Batman was the Batman. Sorry was more interesting than good, but I did find it very interesting. I do think that it sort of represents the future of where superhero movies maybe not are going necessarily, but should be going if they want to have any sort of long-term hope for survival without completely burning the audience out. 
Um, mm. And that is that it's the first mega budget superhero movie that does not belong primarily to the superhero movie genre, which has become its own thing. I mean, this is first and foremost a detective story. It is a procedural. It is uh, borrowing a lot more from Zodiac than it is from uh, Zack Snyder or whatever. I don't know. Chris, whatever the fuck the other reference points might be for something like this. I mean, it is fully in, my, in that world. And it just so happens that the lead detective on the case um, and for good chunks of the movie, I think the third act makes a noted departure from this um, in a way that I enjoyed, um, was ready for. And I think it, it does with a certain gravitas and clarity that, that makes it work. But um, yeah, I mean, and, and I think that that is really the best hope for these things because they can't all just be people flying around in spandex with lasers flying from the sky and, and people arguing about civic responsibility and whatnot. I mean, they have to, they have to expand. And I think it is kind of a hegemonic thing culturally. Like the superhero movies have so dominated the landscape that they are now free to sort of colonize other genres. And um, I think that they, they need to in order for the idea of con- the superhero content to keep uh, rewatering itself in a way. But um, David, what are you doing to your microphone? I was moving it around because it kept swiveling away from me. <laughs> Both of I, you I are my horrible. Microphone Patches was... had a fucking no, clicky pen and there's no way I'm going to be, there's no way I'm going to get that out. I did not have a clicky pen. Listen, it was just a normal great. pen you were clicking. No, I don't have a clicky pen. I don't have a pen. No. Um, what were you futzing with? Oh, I have this. What were you futzing with? That's the next mystery for the world's greatest detective <laughs> to is, solve. This is not a clicky what was pen. just futzing with? This is not um, okay. Anyway, I, I, uh, I. This movie is very long. It is quite plotting. Um, I do think the fact that it commits to an aesthetic that is not just bright and poppy, um, and that it actually has the courage of its convictions um, and holds true to that at all points in the film, even when it would be maybe more convenient or more inviting to depart from it is commendable. Um, and actually, I, do I think agree it's with about everything something. you're saying. That's funny. And I still, I don't think this, I, it's getting like an A, but I do F think it's about something. Oh, okay. I mean, it gets, you know, in the context of a, of a Warner brothers, $180 million studio movie. Sure. But it, it, it did feel to me like it was about something. I don't know how well it was about it. What was it but, about? Um, it's, I mean, to me, it's sort of about a well-beaten topic in film, but uh, the the people who are sort of led by their grievances and sort of isolated by their vengeance and their need for reprisal and um, realizing, as Bruce Wayne eventually does, that it can't really nothing can grow from that. That it needs to um, that it needs to have some light to point the way forward. And I think that that is a simple idea. And Batman is sort of a non-character in this movie. Um, he is kind of just a void of his own vengeance. No, he Bruce is, really is nothing more than a slow. Batman's everywhere. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. He's a sort of a slowed down. He is the manifestation of a slowed down version of a Nirvana song. He is vengeance. <laughs> um, and I think Robert Pattinson is able to. He's to good in the movie. He's, make that he's hold on, but there's not much to the character. How do you get an? In, yeah, how do you get an interesting character of Batman without Bruce Wayne? And how because you, you need an well, actual I mean, pulpy plot. Like if the mystery was really strong here, I don't think we'd be talking about any of the like, what is this movie about, or what is it trying to do? Because we'd actually be gripped there by isn't, the mystery. Uh, I think what's interesting about the mystery is that, that there's there never no any doubt about who. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are plenty of clues. Um, uh, there, <laughs> there. Is never really a doubt who is behind the murders. I mean, the first scene in the movie is the Riddler um, killing the mayor. Um, the real mystery, and certainly <laughs> Batman. You know, really who do you think left this me. note, or I should say, this riddle? Yeah. Um, and it is it is pretty uh, uninteresting at times to watch he and uh, 
Gordon, who's played by Jeffrey Wright in like full on Westworld, just like um, what's the Westworld thing that his character says Arnold all the time, where that like makes him do things. Uh, that doesn't mean anything to me. It doesn't uh, yeah, like no, there's like a lot. Yeah, there's something along those lines. But he's basically just in that robotic like helper mode, and uh, it's a shame because I'm sure. Has Jeffrey Wright a- been in a Batman movie before, yeah. or? Am I just thinking of him on Westworld and in the Bond movies? It just I yeah. just feel like yeah, yeah. But maybe like I've just Slider known that he was like Commissioner Gordon for like his, years. His Felix Slider has an edge to him. It's just even if it's just like, hi James, like here I am. Yeah, Jamaica. no, he's he's got a like, huge scene in uh, No Time to Die. He's good in those. Yeah, and here he's just sort of a foil for bat. It's like a that thing that people play tennis with. It's like a backboard, whatever they called it, when they're just playing by themselves, just to like hit the ball back, and keep the scenes going on. But I I think you know this. The reveal of what the Riddler is planning, I found satisfying in a really unnerving sort of way because of how uh, unafraid it was to sort of tackle real world uh, issues of the day um, and the ones that stemmed from sort of grievance politics and and that sort of thing. And uh, that was the big climax, which is done, you know, the, the way that Greg Fraser shoots and I'll stop monologuing. I was Dave will never ask me to speak again. Um, but he should have learned by now. But like, you know, I, I'm never going to be confused for somebody who loved Dune. But I think one of the secrets to why the movie looks so good is is that Greg Frazier shoots with the special effects in mind. I mean, they light every shot in a way that's going to make it most seamless for the special effects to be woven into the frame. And uh, you see that very much at work in the Batman where, you know, there are almost no obvious visual effects in the movie i mean i think the one shot that jumped out at me is ironically a shot of an actual bat in close-up at one point that i was like oh that's fake (laughs) but everything else is super organic and then when you have this big third act climax at the gotham equivalent of madison square garden um and there are things that are obviously you know been of course that have been uh augmented digitally your your brain your eye are are at that point so in sync with what you're seeing on screen that you don't really question it and you, you imagine Robert it's also Patton's just a terrifying scenario. The, the it is yeah. rolling um, ever again. So I think there's a lot of things that this movie does well. I appreciate it most when it wasn't leading into the Batman of it all. I hated a certain cameo at the end, but it sounds like that might not lead to future world building. I don't know. I was net positive on it. Um, I take Fascinating. this any day. A, a, a strong monologue from you. Far from home. A strong monologue from you. I don't know what you really liked about it. I just It feels like a lot of effort for a movie that is dysfunctional. I mean, Dave, I will turn it back on you. Uh, I, yeah, I know that you need you need a strong script for all the capes and magic and and world building nonsense that you enjoy. I think you need a strong script, and I'm curious if you think this movie ultimately has one for all the ideas and visuals and reinvention going on in it. I'm wondering what satisfied you or not about it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, this feels the most like uh, like the Batman movie that people wanted from like the '80s run of comics, and everybody thought Zack Snyder was going to deliver that, but he uh, missed the point of uh, both the older Batman and like I think the younger Frank Miller esque Batman that we have here, which is two things. One is like Batman's inherently like goofy, and two is Batman isn't sad. If he was sad, he would do nothing. And the worst parts, even of the Nolan trilogy, is when he seems like he's doing nothing because he's sad. Luckily, he's scheming. Uh, but I don't think I the Ben Affleck version of uh, Batman ever ran with me because he seemed like much more sad uh, than like this anger, vengeance uh, sort of thing that uh, Robert Pattinson's oh, yeah, playing vengeance. here. Yeah, he sort of he's ported 
a version of Batman, like also through the same thing that Charlie Cox is doing on the Netflix Daredevil, which is about this Batman's more defined about how much he's going to get the shit kicked out of him and he's going to like get back up and do it again. Uh, because at first he's doing it because he's angry and as it gets harder and harder to get back up, why is he going to start doing it? And that's all this movie's doing. And I think it does it with a single-minded confidence that allows it to be pieces of everything else. Like you liked Batman coming down a hallway being lit by muzzle flashes when Christopher Nolan did it. Well, guess what? It's in this movie and it's going to kind of play better because... Matt Reeves has the confidence to layer these things. But he also in. has the chutzpah to uh, com- almost completely do away with any sort of traditional action scenes. I mean, in, in yeah. a movie like this, that's a really that's a really big. This is the anti-IMAX um, in a way. Like there are not a lot of like big huh. frames or. I mean, there's a big car chase that's been teased well, in the, the trailer. Oh, no, and... I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot of. I, no, I do think it's it would be amazing to see an IMAX because I do think it has a lot of big frames. It doesn't have a lot of. Uh, camera work that's concerned with action I'm not saying it's big I'm saying instead of Nolan being like I'm gonna get 18 IMAX cameras and flip a truck from every wide angle so that you can see that I really did it it's I'm gonna strap a camera to a car and launch the car through a uh, a truck while that's on fire but it's because this this isn't an action movie I mean and even the the Nolan Batman movies which may not seem first and foremost to be action movies in the way that something like Shang-Chi is or Spider-Man Far From Home, uh, there are, you know, clear action set pieces in them, very choppily cut ones that uh, it's not I a find very unexciting. Movie. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is, this is really just not about that. And I think, you know, I think part of it comes from the recognition that we've reached a point in the life cycle and the saturation of superhero movies that you can get away with that to the tune of $138 million over the opening weekend. But you couldn't do that a couple of years ago. That isn't to celebrate this as some groundbreaking achievement in cinema, the bravery required to make it or anything like that. <laughs> well, I mean, I think um, the, but... the best thing about it is that it doesn't also lose the fact that it's Batman and Batman's fucking goofy. So, like, there's a scene where they tie up the penguin, they tie up his legs, so he has to, like, waddle through a fun. scene. That's hilarious. Uh, the Riddler's, like, even macabre jokes are, like, dumb to the point where they're kind of hilarious. Batman has to figure out a mystery by making a spray paint murder wall oh, with clues that, that he's collected, yeah. taking off his shirt and like looking down at it to sort of like figure it out. There's so much goofy Batman in here. I think and it helps I, that he that he I, spends a majority of the time in the Batman costume. Like that is an advantage yeah. of this movie and it makes it he can be serious and have fun in the Batman the mode. stiffest Batman costume ever anyone has no, ever worn i mean like the way not. that he moves in it it looks like that thing weighs 400 pounds that's so I think interesting I, mean, I, think, I, I feel like it's the opposite well, I mean, be- and for the one of the reasons david was describing and the th- or dave was describing and, and a reason i i something i do like about the movie is how much they kick the shit out of pattinson in this costume he can really, oh they do I'm he can really move around and get back up and like he moves swing like an elven and... ring character i mean like he, he isn't, <laughs> yeah. he's like you know it's, he, he is not a three model this movie i i i haven't heard anything from katie I, th- I think that's part of the, the weight. Movie. Katie's just oh, basking in our glory that. here. Um, I think that's part of like the weight of him doing. Anyway, I, I, when I watched this movie for like the first hour, I was not into it. I imagine if I rewatched it, I still might have some trouble with just like this movie hits the ground running and it gets in this rut of tone, and then it's just off to the races of a plot that I like. I don't mind the mystery plot. There's just it, no mystery. There's no solving anything. He doesn't accomplish anything. Everything he 
uh, everything he discovers, he stumbles into. He gets help on all the clues. It's just like he's a big cheater pants. That's Batman. That's Batman. That's Batman. You're allowed to get Alfred's Batman. help once. That's fine. I'm just saying, if Batman you're the world's greatest like a... detective, that's different yes. than being the world's greatest escape room. Well, that's uh, the reputation that he's. That's the moniker he's earned. Yeah, outside people of the are movie. always. I know, but uh, like, people no are always the saying movie. they're going to make him do some detecting, and they're like, okay, then he does some detecting. But if you go back and you look at it, or if you like read the comics where he's detecting. This is exactly know, how dumb he is. But Gordon, he's going to be like, the crime you were seen of the thing. I'm going to assault the thing. And then it's just, he's just going to find the next I person to liked, beat up, which is exactly how this I would have liked works. one like twist or one surprise in the script. There's no, there's nothing surprising about the movie at all because yeah. we, uh, as David mentioned, like we know it's the Riddler from the beginning. So like, what else are they going Although to layer on or what are they it going is, to I agree twist? with. I agree with Patch's point that I did feel like we were missing uh, a mic drop, or a, that's not even the right expression, like a shoe drop. The other shoe drop, something, something to texture it up. But I did, when, when Paul Dano finally, in the last 40 minutes of the movie, gets, gets on to his live stream. Stage, uh, gets on, hey I mean, guys, thanks for subscribing. Um, it, he, he is really delightful. And, I hated uh, him in this movie. Wow. Oh, really? He oh. is terrible. I That's probably why you didn't Dano. like the movie. Yeah, really just a bad oh. performance and really like <laughs> Did you expect outrageous. something else no, from I him? Because I, I feel like I a lot, got of, the, what a lot I of the performances was, in this movie are really leaning into, uh, you know, into their stock and trade. Yeah, no. I, At that point, I guess it's, maybe before we... I was having we... prisoners flashbacks and it was, it was worse. <laughs> His Dano, character no, is very prisoner no, no, he, he went over the cliff on this no. one. I thought it was like a little too fake spectrum-y and just like playing in neurodivergent well, behavior that I just do not appreciate. And I just like, I thought oh, it, was a, I, it was like a stock too far, a stock character too far. Um, Paul Dano was awful. I, I definitely disagree, but I also, Colin Farrell, uh, man, that scene, really I don't know. I don't know how, um, <laughs> I, I mean, Colin Farrell is having a great time in this movie. He seems to be having a lot of fun. There I was think Peter Sarsgaard, who I didn't pretty negligible to this. Realize P- was in it and just I, are we, um, performance. are we talking spoilers or no? Not now, I don't think, for this one segment, just to give a vague thing on the Batman. Uh, Maybe people okay. haven't seen the Batman. We don't know. Um, I haven't seen the Batman. I don't care if you spoil it, but I've, I mean, I'm one of those who has not seen okay. it. Okay. Uh, well, I won't spoil anything then. But um, the, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that the one scene that Paul Dano has where he's really squaring off with Robert Pattinson is fascinating. That, that scene actually gave me the closest thing That's to a, a real some, like, twist. Shit. Um, there, it is some real specter shit. It, it definitely has overtones of the, uh, classic scene with, uh, Christian Bale and Heath Ledger in the dark Knight. Mm-hmm. But I think there's an element, there's a reveal that Paul Dano character, the Riddler, the Riddler, John T. Riddler, whatever the fuck his name is, Edward. His name is Enigma. Edward. They actually um, changed his last name from Enigma to something. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think because. Egregious <laughs> F. <laughs> there Edward, zero, zero on a Edward Enigma? Be, um, that's his, that's, his name. That's his usual name in the comic. I mean, yeah, that in, feels if just Joel like Schumacher a... is making your movie, it can be Edward G. Nigma. But here, uh, Algae Rhythm. We missed the Schumacher uh, on this one. <laughs> um, but there, there is a revelation about the character, less what he's plotting than how he thinks. And I think I'm keeping it vague enough that you wouldn't have any idea what I'm talking about if you hadn't seen the movie. And maybe I have no idea if you have about. seen it, uh, may not, that I found kind of fascinating and unexpected. Um, so I did appreciate it for that. I also <laughs> think it's worth saying um, that. Zoe Kravitz is like possibly the hottest person alive. I and yeah, she she's amazing. You're definitely right, but I gotta say something about Zoe Kravitz, who I just praised her in Kimmy. I'm 
I don't know if she's a... That doesn't earn you a pass. I don't know if she is a good actress. I think she is a tremendously beautiful, photogenic person who... And there are sequences... I feel like Matt Reeves definitely knows this because most of her scenes are her, like, catwalking through clubs, looking hot as shit, and, like, doing sleek things in the night. Like, she can... She is photogenic. She belongs on the big screen. Oh, really? But I do not think (laughs) she's, like keeping up with the actors. Like, she cannot play femme fatale. She cannot have fun. She seems to have no sense of humor. It's not a charming performance I, at all. And there's like, she does. She gets nothing to do or is able to give nothing. I don't it was a real play bummer. that at her feet. I think that if she were her playing Catwoman in, the, like in Batman, Batman Returns, Returns, you would not have the same complaint about her. I think. I mean, that's that great. I would love that having, performance. I hope she could she do She's having fun within the constraints of the character. The, the mission, the, the stakes for her character really don't allow for a lot of wisecracking. But there it doesn't, is there's a, a whole playful, to her. Like, they have many and there's definitely, a, a, and I, I, but where you really lost me is saying that there wasn't any sort of femme fatale element to her because I think she absolutely My, exudes Yeah, that's that all, that's all she is. No, but it doesn't energy. work. Like, it doesn't function. The best scene that they have together is a scene where um, Batman has convinced her to infiltrate the, like, criminal underbelly club that the, all the guys hang out in, and she wears special contact lenses so that he can see and, like, guide her and get the intel and ID everybody. That's the only playful moment in a three-hour movie. It's like a five-minute sequence. It's Again, the only time it feels like they have banter. I just, I just found it staggering. But like, they do have later moments, and this is where it started getting under my skin how little this movie has on its brain, ultimately, which is like three-quarters of the way through the movie, they have a scene where she's throwing around like, you know, Bruce Wayne was white privilege and like should have been using his money to save the city. I'm like, where is this coming from? What is, the, like, what is this movie, and why is she being saddled, I guess? with this late game exposition to try and make this movie about something. It was very frustrating. Maybe maybe I should give Zoe Kravitz more credit. I think Soderbergh and Kimmy knows how to use her the, like the personality and about... her photogenic like quality to his advantage in like this kind of thriller mode. And here it just is like flopping. I don't know. Disappointing. Whatever the talking point didn't work for you completely went over my head that Zoe Kravitz even mentioned it because she has great chemistry with a masked person in this movie and every scene she's in with the masked person. Yeah. So I, don't, I mean, I mean, God, I wanted fine. she, in, she guess, also kiss, has kiss the really, um, she has, well, she has the really unfortunate task of having to, with zero evident motivation, kiss a man who seems facially paralyzed behind a rubber suit. <laughs> like, very he, true. Robert Pattinson is just standing there with dead lips. Robert Pattinson, a very, Zoe Kravitz spent two weeks at Madame Tussauds practicing for her big kiss scene. (laughs) And he is just standing there like he's dead. And she, even though there's been no hint of some sort of sexual attraction, because they've both been busy with this very serious shit and fixing Gotham, just decides to plant one on him. And it's just like, the movie did not need this. No. and uh, I didn't really believe that in that moment. It was Matt Patterson too, sitting in the outgoing kiss. Somebody kiss, kiss already, yeah, God! <laughs> I do think, I thought uh, Pattinson, Pattinson was good in this movie. Uh, Katie, you asked us before the podcast if, if Pattinson's hot in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. There is a scene where after he gets just the living shit beaten out of him, he shows up at Wayne Manor or Wayne Underground. I, I don't know where he lives. He lives in a tower in this movie, I think. I don't think he has a mansion. He lives, lives underneath the bridge. Yeah. Um, he shows up and bridge. he's wearing giant sunglasses and like a white t-shirt drinking coffee like he's completely hungover. Um, and it was the main, It was just like, that is the shot of the movie for me. There's so many gorgeous shadow rainy scenes in this noir like three hour epic and yet the best moment is Pattinson rolling in like he just had 
a bender or something. It was fantastic. He's a hot rock star. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Is this a better or worse noir than Nightmare Alley? <laughs> I mean, I... Whoa. <laughs> they're very different movies. Uh, Nightmare Alley is not a detective story. It doesn't have any procedural no, elements. that's true. Um, I certainly Not as much geeking in the Batman as I would have but no, no one eats a chicken. <laughs> no, I mean not even the penguin who uh, eats his fair share of uh, fowl. I think the penguin the, doesn't even like something. looking at dead bodies, bodies in the original <laughs> in the Batman. Don't the Batman show original. me that. But um, I, I, I certainly think this is a more successful movie at what it's doing than Nightmare Alley. But I would rather watch Nightmare Alley again than sit through all three hours of this. <laughs> Interesting. I think it thinks it's doing Zodiac meets Chinatown and it has as much plot as if you were trying to do that. And that's sort of, you know, where it where it ends up landing. But yeah. either way, you could decide for yourself if you haven't already. This very successful movie is in theaters and then will be on like HBO Max. In like, like 45 like days 40 or something. Yeah, days. Yeah, I'd watch it again. So, I bet uh, you it's great at, the on Batman. TV. Yeah, I bet, I bet it's great to just dip in and watch yeah. parts that you liked again. It'll be the Batman. It'll be with the rest of the Batman streaming soon, if you don't want to see it in theaters. The rest of the Batman. The rest of the Batman. It's actually the Batmans. Men. There's the Batman's. pluralization of Batman. So, uh, for our mini tonight, we're going to be talking about a recent spate of uh, series ripped from the headlines, dramatic series that have been adapted from very, very recent scandals. Um, and I guess in the case of Winning Time, a not as recent non-scandal, but whatever, we're, <laughs> we're throwing it in the same basket. Um, but yeah, there have been, uh, and this is a trend that we've felt growing for a number of years now, but it feels like it's really peaking at the moment, there's the Uber show with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. There is uh, the We Crash show about WeWork. There is uh, the show with Amanda Seyfried about Theranos. There is Winning Time, which is not about a startup, but might as well be. Um, there Inventing is the, Anna. Uh, what's her name? Anna, Del Anna Delphi, Anna. which is uh, not about a startup, about a human startup. Someone's trying to start up her own uh, mm, brand of bullshit. Yeah, um, th there, there are... Uh, thanks. Uh, there are... There are all these things. Ripped and from the I, I magazine just, headlines, ripped from the podcasts, ripped from yeah, new media, guess, getting in on production. No one's optioned this podcast for Did Vanity years, Fair yeah. get a series? Uh, well, Vanity out of this? We, uh, we have to really crash and burn. I don't think... I, the, we, we, there's a bad <laughs> vegan docuseries on Netflix that uh, is... that we. That what we about Monica Lewinsky, American Crime Story? You guys didn't uh, get a little money? No, it turns that out uh, that that was a uh, nationally known news story. <laughs> I just think in the rise and fall in the rise and fall drama of our podcast, like the peak, the most gluttonous episode where we're all just fucking like rolling around in our super yachts and uh, running pyramid schemes is when uh, Newsweek mentioned our time, mentioned us as mm -hmm. one of the best podcasts <laughs> of the year. And now we are, we are in our uh, yep. we are in our downfall right now. Um, but uh, the reason that we're doing this is a quick segment, the thought that kicked it off was just that a lot of these series feel like they are not engaging, whereas the uh, Elizabeth Holmes one, which is called something... The Dropout. Uh, the Dropout. The Dropout, right. 
uh, which I've seen the first three episodes of, it seems really to be a cut above and a lot more interesting. Um, there was an article today, I believe, on Gawker or one of the some uh, I want to say Gawker about how people should wait 20 years before something happens so that it doesn't feel like we're simply dramatizing a Wikipedia page, a complaint I've had about many biopics in the day, oh and now God. it seems to be day rigor for series. Um, it seems from the three episodes that I've seen of The Dropout that they are obviously recounting what happened with Theranos, but they are doing so in a way that seems more character-driven. Who wrote it? Isn't it Liz Merriweather? Uh, it's all, Liz Merriweather, uh, creator yeah, of she, New Girl. Yeah, that's, yeah, she's, that's cool. Uh, that's a big pivot for Show her. Show Walter directed She's a right? showrunner. Yep, you directed, uh, at least the first step, yeah. couple episodes. Um, but um, Winning Time, which uh, seems to have a lot going for it, is unfortunately an Out of a K project, and the first episode of that was like nails on a chalkboard for me. Um, looks great, uh, but um, and has a wonderful cast, but I, I was deeply annoyed by it in the same way that I've been annoyed by a lot of Adam McKay's recent stuff. I haven't bothered with inventing Anna. Patches, I'm waiting for you to weigh in there. I, I, w- I made um, it literally 15 minutes or like 10 minutes into the first episode, and her the voice that uh, Julia Garner is doing as Anna is so excruciating. And then I was talking to a lot of people that the, the wow, show is... a lot of nails on a chalkboard yeah, happening here. The, the, apparently the show is mostly about the journalist who covered the story for New York Magazine. And I'm like, what is this shit? I don't know. And, and yeah. all the episodes are over an hour long. Uh, not going to do it. Sorry. I have two things to say. Uh, a, the dropout is great. You were right, David. Uh, the fourth episode, which is airing this week, uh, it brings in Alan Ruck as a as not Connor from Succession. Um, and is even better than the first three. Um, mm. And then also uh, Hold Tight for We Crashed, which is about WeWork and is Jared Leto and Anne Hathaway and premieres on Apple in like two weeks. And You've seen some of that? Awesome. Or are you allowed to say? Yeah, it's so good. Oh. It's real good. Oh, good. Jared Leto's um, doing another voice. Yeah. Are you able to, and this is something I struggle with with some of these when they're done well and they're telling interesting stories. Is it with something like We Crashed, are you able to parse out Oh, this is just an incredible thing that happened from like, oh, this is actually a good television show that is doing mm. something interesting with this material. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think with the dropout is like more straightforward. So it's harder to tell on that one. We Crash has like a good sense of like style. It like makes you realize that 2011 like was a long time ago, um, which is something that I struggle because... with having been doing this since 2011. Um, yeah, I think both of those shows like and I've been watching Super Pumped, the Uber show, wow. uh, which, which feels I don't to me like it's really just it. fucking drafting off social network too hard from what I've seen. And it's just I mean, they're literally they're, doing they're, a second Super Pumped season uh, next year about Facebook. So that would make sense. Oh, that seems like a waste of time. Yeah. But it, I felt just yeah, from the one episode I saw of it that it was like this. there's just a soul missing here. Like there yeah, isn't no, I, th- a, a I think that's driving exactly reason for the show to exist. Driving reason. Yeah, because the question Uber. is like, why do you want to spend time with these monsters who like in like elizabeth holmes's case like endangered people to but also, get what they this want this can't be and your first elizabeth holmes content uh drop, no right? i read the i read bad blood okay. um and i saw the gibney doc the gibney doc was great but also the the thing yeah. that's interesting about her though i didn't it's watch great. the gibney doc but like you you know what she did but why she did what she did is still really opaque like it's still kind of hard to figure out how it got that far and like if she really th- like what she knew and when she knew it and the dropout, I don't think, has the answers, but it it's interesting and in, it's interested in meeting her like as a high school and being like, how does someone who's just like a nerdy girl in Texas but like wind up running a giant scheme? Mm-hmm. And I th- it, it's interested in answering that question. Um, and also, shameless plug, Dave is working on a podcast with me at Vanity Fair about all these shows. Whoa! It's the new season of Still Watching about Super Pumped, The Dropout, and We Crashed. And you should That's listen to it. That's coming soon. I'm That's on not it. out yet. It's, uh, it started uh, last week was the first episode talking about the first three episodes of the dropout and super pumped. And then 
It's Richard Lawson on mic, and then various other people nice. rotating in and out. So we'll be covering all three shows. Mm. Yeah, Julie Miller schooled me on some <laughs> dropout facts. <laughs> That's right. You let me plug my oh, other podcast, my, my other other You've podcast, David. I have one more recommendation. One day on this I will finally. I, I just want to say I'm the only podcast host on this app on this show who has not had another podcast to plug on this podcast. And one mm-hmm. day I will fix that. Get, no get how but you do go on blank check and not mention that's us. True. So so that's true. That balances some, out the that's, universe. That's barely a consolation. Um, here's my, <laughs> my last recommendation for people who are maybe getting a little sick of just tr- rip from the headlines, straightforward adaptations. I don't know if you realize that Law & Order is back uh, after like <laughs> almost a decade of being off the air. Uh, Sam Watterson, Anthony Anderson, a bunch of new people. And they are ripping headlines, baby. Episode two is the Elizabeth Holmes story if she committed murder. Okay, if you think the dropout is a little too just safe, like, fuck it. We're we're doing more Elizabeth. Holmes. <laughs> yeah, they did Elizabeth Holmes too, and I'm like, this time she kills. Uh, I definitely recommend it for some some trash classic Law and Order doing. <laughs> David, I'm gonna. I've been. We've been tasked with describing uh, the plot of After Yang, which is a moody sci-fi film. Of, I prefer the uh, term cozy sci-fi. A cozy sci-fi film uh, from Koganda. That Koganada. 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 Thank you. That's why we should probably not uh, have me do. That's why things. I didn't do the intro on this one, just in case. Yeah, very good. <laughs> and I love the man. The director of Columbus back. Um, and, uh, this stars, uh, features a family in the future who has adopted a young Chinese daughter and to help her acclimated to the family, they have bought a techno sapien. Well, that's uh, not quite brother. a lot. That's, I just, is a big, a big point of difference from what you just said. They have, yeah. they're not trying to acclimate her into the family. She has been a member of their family for her they're entire life. They're trying to associate they her to are Chinese trying culture. To, Right. right. They are trying to, to bridge a gap between her and the country, uh, you know, where she came from. Because the robot born. is also um, Chinese, built to appear and possess the yes. yeah, knowledge of a Chinese man. Correct. They have, right. They, so, the, and his, you know, and we'll get into this, but the robot's Asianness is a construct. I mean, this is a, a synthetic creature who is created to sort of represent, embody an Asianness that he has not lived obviously himself um, and the movie is the movie is very keen to explore what that means yes indeed and we catch up with the movie as this family is operating as a family of four and uh, then uh, Yang breaks down and Colin Farrell who plays uh, the father uh, Jake I'm told his name is <laughs> but didn't remember that necessarily um uh, he goes off to get yang fixed uh for his daughter and family and makes discoveries along the way i think most notably that we should talk about they discovered something in him that uh he's a very special type of techno sapien that has allowed been allowed to record uh small fragments of memory in like a memory box uh that characters could watch that, yeah like jay can use his vr videos. helmet to Surf. Yes, the Yang has been secretly recording three seconds of footage a day 
And part of the intrigue around the movie is what does a robot, an android, a technosapien, what have you, decide is important? What do they uh, value of the 24 hours in a day? What are the three seconds that they think are worth remembering? Yeah. And I guess through the process of this movie, uh, the scope of what it's actually about um, widened to the point that it eludes me if it's supposed to be very sharp or if it's just supposed to throw me in as like a lot of good sci-fi just asking questions asking the questions yeah asking the questions of myself uh because there there is a movie that is concerned about race uh it is a movie that is at least on the surface concerned uh with some type of science fiction uh and it is probably a movie that is concerned you know with uh the Asian service class of some specific time period, or maybe of all time, uh, and how they relate to the uh, families they serve. Um, it's also about getting your iPhone fixed and all the places you have to go with warranties <laughs> well, and I mean, stuff. That and, like, is going, to having, the, yeah. going to the Geek Squad or going to the, the Apple the, Lab. The, the plot, I mean, the plot such as it is, I mean, and, and I don't think Koganana makes especially plot-driven films. Um, anyone who's seen Columbus, this is, I think, a little bit bigger it's playing with some genre tropes but it's still very much by the same filmmaker but the driving sort of force behind the plot is a man who is treating this effectively like dead family member is this like crashed family member like it is a broken iphone um and it's a piece of technology that needs to fix or refurbish or recycle whatever the case might be yang was refurbished that is part of the plot but he uh and and so it's sort of charting the growth of this guy who sees, you know, a, a robot who his daughter and to an extent maybe his wife saw as a member of their family that he saw as a tool um, who simply had human characteristics and begins to sort of develop a sense of empathy towards Yang um, as the otherness that he saw in him. And you could extrapolate that otherness to, you know. Uh, any any group of people or technosapien or whatever, I mean, it's obviously a very pliable metaphor, um, begins to recognize the, for lack of a better word, humanity or interiority that Yang possesses. It is, uh, you know, it does not feel this way at all when you watch it, but if you just to, were to write down what sort of what's happening in the story on paper, it would sound like a classic story about a blinkered, uh, myopic white man who discovers the otherness that you know pierces his otherness, discovers the humanity in someone else who it should mm. be given to by default, and is exultant for that. But this is not what that movie is doing necessarily. That's simply just sort of the trajectory that it follows. Katie, what do you make of this movie? Since uh, you saw it, I just I had yeah, I hadn't thought of it as having been like following that trajectory. But you're exactly right, David. And maybe that's because I've seen too many movies about white men learning to see other people as people. Um, because this doesn't feel that, like that when it happens. No, it doesn't. And I'm, like, very rarely interested in movies where it's, like, do robots have feelings? Like, when does a robot become a person? You don't like AI? I know I've struggled with, Wes. I like AI. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I like, that idea doesn't resonate with me that much. Like, Westworld I've struggled with forever and ever. But what does resonate with me that After Yang gets into is the idea of parenting and who parents your child and who you were outsourcing that to. Like, they have Yang not just as this older brother figure for their daughter, for the culture, but, like, as a caretaker like he's picking her up from school he's like there's a you know a runner where he's getting up she wakes him up in the middle of the night when she needs something instead of her parents and i think that idea that he's seeing his daughter in different ways by paying attention to yang in a way he hadn't before and kind of taking responsibilities that he had 
kind of offloaded onto Yang. Mm. And then also thinking about who Yang was when he wasn't with his daughter, which is, you know, something like, you know, the people who work at the daycare where my kids go. Like, I don't know a lot about their lives outside of that. I found all of that. But they know your kid really well. Right. And they and and then you don't you don't even know know how much your kid is like affected by them or or emotionally invested. And and one of my favorite bits earlier on in the movie is just when when Jake Colin Farrell starts learning that his daughter like really loves Yang and you can't just like swap them out or something like she needs to be there for this whole process. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's very much among many other things, a movie about that feeling of uh, pacifying your kid with your iPhone for a little while as well. I mean, so much of <laughs> so much of like the, the dialect of this movie for me is is sort of the double edged sword that technology brings into the li- into our lives, into how present we are, uh, particularly for our children, the people that we love, but also in general. The, the thing that I see as the closest analog to it in my own life is the idea that like I am so grateful that I had a child in the age of iPhones because I um you know, the world is happening so fast. Our days are so filled. They're so mission-oriented about, like, getting getting Asa to eat his dinner and getting Asa to change and getting Asa to bed. It's very hard to sort of stop, take a beat, and enjoy the wonder of your child, um, particularly, you know, in, in the middle of these busy weeks. And so I find myself taking videos, and I thank my lucky stars every night that, you know, my wife and I can sort of download, not in the literal sense, but just sort of, like, take a moment and sort of, like, download our memories of that day and yeah. be able to enjoy them without the chaos of it all um but at the same time the that lens that you put between you and the world um that devotion towards capturing a past or capturing the present in a way that you know, you'll be viewing it when it is the past uh does take you out of the present at hand um it does it may not be a present you're able to engage with all that much in the first place but it does become about simply preserving these memories rather than engaging in the moments at hand and it's a really tricky balancing act and one that I think you're keenly aware of as a parent. And there are a lot of other things going on in this movie, particularly as they relate to race, dislocation, identity, um, a sort of outsider point of view, um, you know, of Asian-Americanness first and foremost. The broader things that it plays into, into to parenting, into your own distance. Distance is a word I kept coming back to. Uh, your distance mm. from each other, your distance from your kids, your distance from your memories. And then eventually, in Yang's case, your distance from your own conception of self is very active. Uh, in this film and stretched in really interesting ways as the movie goes on and Yang's memories. Because Yang, I mean, the title is is interesting. It is not the name of the short story, which was called Saying Goodbye to Yang. Um, this is taking it to a di- different tense where it's not just, you know, it's focusing on what happens after Yang, where Yang's sort of absence is uh, recognized as a precondition. And um, so much of this movie takes place, you know, after Yang is gone, and it is uh, about sifting through his memories and seeing the people and this one person in particular who he had a relationship with, and it it takes all the things we've been talking about in some unexpected, not especially, you know, certainly not melodramatic directions. That is not the vibe here. Um, it is very soft and cozy, yeah. but really touching. I found very powerful, incredibly delicate, and smartly done. Um, and, I just feel like the, yeah, like I, everything that I like about it and I, everything that you guys are talking about, it definitely I'm in for. And I don't want this to come off as like a criticism of the movie, but oh, every once in a while, well, I mean, every, I mean, because I'm not sure it is. It's just, it's puzzling to me in that it's like a thematic rabbit hole. And even though I've probably seen it most recently of all of us, I'm like trying to scan through my memories of the movie to justify things. So it's like, like yeah. Oh, no, like Jake. This movie, yeah, I don't remember. think there's any time in this movie that we see 
um, any children who have been conceived as we would consider them being conceived. It seems like in this place like, that uh, they live, you either adopt or... or you either well, adopt or you get a clone. Trying to say sex? Dave is getting to something, which is that like the movie's conception of the future hinges on some unknown, and we never find out, it's never really specified, but some major world disaster. Right. So, uh, some kids that, are that cloned, happened. right? Like yeah. Well, there are there are clones, yeah. but and then like there's a lot of folk. It's like it it seems like there was some sort of nuclear ruin. This is not a dystopian film in the traditional Fan sense. Theory. The skies aren't burnt orange. <laughs> right, but like there, there was some some sign of sort of reset happened where everyone is wearing very simple clothes and nature is sort of growing around the, these futuristic cities. There is a tree in the middle of the incredible house where Jake's family lives. Um, incredible, beautiful house. Yeah, beautiful it's clothes. a house. I'm trying to remember the name of the architect. It's like Eichler, I want to say. Um, and they, they well, found... I mean, after seeing Columbus, you're like, yeah, right. Coconata, he's he's not going to make it yes. ugly house. Well, uh, no. But uh, it's a real house that they found and then re- uh, renovated for the purposes of the movie in upstate New York. And wow. it, it's clear, like, the world building is very ambient. But uh, anyway, yeah. Dave, go on. But, like, it's clear that something happened that, right. that shifted so the way things go. There, there's this, like, this something happened that, you know, could be there just as a side piece. But then, you know, my mind starts going in down the tunnel of, like, is this saying, you know, more about who raises children and what that relationship is and how important it is, which is what you guys were talking about from like a caregiver standpoint is even bigger than that is it's everybody like who is willing to care for somebody based on that relationship or who needs, you know, blood, actual blood relation, or they're not going to care something like that. I think uh, the movie eventually gets into the other thing is uh, Colin Farrell's Jake, which they introduced very early on runs like a tea shop. And there's a very long scene where he explains to Yang how he got into tea and how it was sort of through a documentary of a German guy who was... Uh, he's talking about a Les Blank film called... Uh, oh, fuck, what's the name of the movie? Um, and the German guy is talking about it's Werner Herzog. Herzog, yeah. Um, yeah. Les Blank... It's called All This All in This Tea. Um, which huh, I did not know it was a real movie. Uh, uh, it is. I, I, I mean, just to let you guys behind the curtain... Um, I, I mean, I like Les Blank. I love Werner Herzog. I had not seen this film, um, but when I was preparing to do a and A with Coconata last week, I did a little digging, and I was like, "Oh, it's interesting because Jake remembers it as a 20th century documentary. He doesn't mention the title. He doesn't know who Werner Herzog is, um, but he's like a 20th century documentary. The movie was actually made in 2007, and I assumed like an asshole." that that was a deliberate choice. Because Koganada is like a cinephile par excellence. He used to make super cuts and video essays for the Criterion Channel, among other outlets. They're all So you were brilliant. like, in your world, why did this well, documentary well, come no, out Well, no, I was just than... like, oh, this is, he's pointing towards Jake's fallibility of memory and how like even these things that are so instructional to who we are can be misremembered and take on their own lives <laughs> in our memory. And, and I just, I, I made as a passing comment in our Q&A that I thought that was interesting because the subject came up and he was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was like, oh, now I, <laughs> now I sound like a know-it-all asshole who's like pointing at IMDb goofs. But I still think. Well, surely a think, cinephile on your level knows that it came out. I made sure to specify that, of course, I only knew that because I was Googling that day. But uh, I also think it's still, <laughs> it still points to the point I'm trying to make about sort of the fallibility memory and how elastic it is the character and like even Koganata writing the script who obviously knew this movie in a way that I did not I mean the, t- the Les Blank film um w- while he was writing and even on set 
sort of misremembered when it was made. And I think that's poignant in a way and not uh, a flaw. But it's so. A, it's what am I supposed to make about? <laughs> what am I supposed to make about a white person talking about adopting like this Chinese culture part of tea to a robot? that understands the fact of Chinese culture, but doesn't necessarily consider himself Asian. I just don't know as like a film viewer, like how, how far to follow that whirlpool down of how much this movie's actually taking a stance on it or no, how much it just think... wants to kick down all those doors for me to think about the, the angles too. I, I would be inclined to say that you're thinking about it in the right way and you make a really interesting distinction and a necessary one. And my feeling is the movie is, is opting for the latter. I, I do not think that Koganada in his approach to filmmaking is a particularly prescriptive guy that he doesn't want you to think of things in a certain way. I think he's more interested in the way that you think about things. He makes movies about the things that we don't see in our lives, sort of the invisibly profound things, the things that we gloss over every day because they're maybe too close to us, like the architecture in a, the architecture in a town that is remarkable by any standard. But if you grew up there, the buildings, as special as they might be, uh, would blend into one another. Um, and he extrapolates that same idea into this movie. And I think it's just sort of about ways of seeing. It's about asking that question, like, what is in that conversation? You know, Yang is, he knows everything about being Chinese. He knows everything about Chinese history and Chinese culture, but can only sort of grasp at the idea of what it means to be Chinese or Chinese American, because he is, um, I don't want to say he's nothing, that's not right, but he's not human. So he's, um, what is the limit to which he can feel something? Can it be complete? Maybe it can. Uh, whereas Jake, who has, you know, he has adopted a Chinese born daughter who he loves like his own, of course. Um, and, you know, but still there's a gap between he and his daughter in terms of, you know, how they identify and, and uh, where they trace themselves back that Yang could maybe help him forward. And I, I think these things are all sort of alive and fascinating in the movie and, and are asking questions in a ghost-to-the-shell kind of way that are going to be percolating in our society as the technology continues to advance and we all sort of get further away from our roots as we know them. I mean, like, China is obviously an ancient country, um, America much less so. But I Wait, think I'm going like, to start cutting you off, David, because I have a point about... Can I just make my, my very last point yes. and then I'll shut up yes. forever? Um that that's not a promise, but uh, the forever part. But the idea that, like, I feel like as mass immigration on a global scale began to exist more frequently and on a more regular level in the 20th century, and not always sort of by because of the disruptions caused by war and whatnot. But in my case, yes, um, there is sort of a baseline of like, that's when my history starts like that. We're all moving further away from this fixed point in time. That's not true for everyone, of course, but for someone like me, who uh, is family tree ends in the 1930s um, like that. It, it does feel like, okay, that's the mark, the line in the sand where my identity starts. And we're all sort of every subsequent generation is moving further and further away from that. And what does that distance mean from that source of like where we began? Um, and if there is an event that rewrites the world and starts us over from scratch, uh, a nuclear war, whatever the case might be like, What's the distance we get away from that? I don't know. These are all things that were swirling around like tea leaves in my head as I watched the movie. Um, what I was thinking of that's similar to that is I feel like this movie is concerned with what is culture and how we preserve it. Like you've got the Sarita Chowdhury character who's got this museum about um, techno sapiens and like how they want to maybe include Yang in there. 
And the notion of tea is like, you know, having originated in China and like being a fundamental part of that, but like also is a fundamental part of like Southern culture that I grew up with, like how it has migrated across the globe and like has come to mean different things to different cultures. I think in a similar way to what David said, like the further you get away from the origins of something, like it's not about like representation, like who owns something, but I think much more kind of broad minded about like what a culture has within it and what a culture chooses to keep and say about itself. Yep. It's going to be like watching Colin Farrell talk to a robot about tea and watching Nicolas Cage tear down a chef in his <laughs> restaurant <laughs> are like two of the greatest over the table conversations. Real in good the past. dinner table I, conversation. Th- this movie is on, it is in theaters and select theaters, but it is also available on Showtime, um, which is part of the output deal that A24 has, the same one that. Uh, the Humans was released on last fall. If you have showtime, go and watch the first five minutes of this movie. Make it through the opening credit sequence. <laughs> yeah, you can and watch the opening credit sequence on um, on YouTube, which you because should. Because it is not the vibe that. of this movie at all. Uh, it, it, but it's, go, it's not. Go watch that in the context of the movie and, and then you know see if you have another 80 minutes to spare. I would strongly encourage you to, to watch the whole thing. I love thing. that opening. Uh, I love to get to see a lot it's of different a great, It's a great grabber. Show up in the... Uh across the movie in different ways. Yes. And if the movie All About Lily Choo Choo means anything to you, and it very well may not, uh, then you must stick it through because for reasons that will become obvious. I'm just excited next week we're not doing another A24 movie about loss because these these have been really tough, guys. Uh, Well... Uh, later, later this month, we will be doing another A twenty four movie that I have a lot to say on, but I can't even mention All what right. that is quite yet. So, <laughs> so after Yang in theaters, limited theaters now, but also on Showtime. And if you want to uh, figure out how to stream Showtime, I think there's like Hulu add ons. You know, there's you stuff. There's the stuff for that. that does it for this week's show next week we'll be back we'll be talking about turning red which i mean the batman posters are red i'm trying to think of like links between turning red and the batman i'll, I'll keep thinking i mean there's it. a panda person I, I thought... in the movie <laughs> <laughs> the panda hey uh, i don't know if she's a detective yet we'll uh, stay tuned for next week anyway in the meantime tell the people who you are i'm matt patch's deputy editor over at polygon.com i'm on twitter at Mr. Patches. We have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com, where you can listen to us talk about old Batman movies, I would imagine. Uh, we've been doing this for a long time, and at least The Dark Knight Rises came out. I'm sure we talked about Batfleck in Justice League. So you can get we all definitely of the, talked about the Snyder Cut. All of the DC movies uh, in our backlogs at fightinginthewarroom.com. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. You can find me on IndieWire, uh, where I'll be writing about a lot of South by Southwest movies this week, including the aforementioned A24 movie, uh, reviews for which will drop on Friday, um, worth keeping an eye out for. Uh, you can find all of us together on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room. Leave us a review. We'll read it live on the show. Tell me if, and especially where, you've been able to find Pumpkin Pie Talenti's pumpkin pie. Pumpkin pie. You wouldn't eat flavor. that during the summer, um, would you? That does, does not seem like summer. Are you ice cream. fucking kidding me? Summer I, pumpkin <laughs> ice cream. I, I, I mean, my brain is like 
blood is coming out of my ears. Of course I would eat that. Like, during the pandemic, I, I couldn't go a day in the summer without eating it. Um, you're just, you're psychotic. You're a bad man, Matt Patches. I, how dare you? And I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E. You can also email us your international reviews uh, at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair and on the Little Gold Men podcast, where this week you can hear me talking about the Oscar-nominated shorts. I am watching them, so you don't have to, although historically watching them does not help me win any Oscar pools, so um, buyer beware. Um, and as mentioned, still watching. Listen to that podcast, too. I'm not on it yet, but I probably will be later. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where you're welcome to flood our feed with pictures of ice cream, of any kind of ice cream. I would like some new ice cream recommendations, honestly. We're getting a Jenny's here, so I feel like I'm going to be getting some better ice cream soon. Mm. Um, or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of turning red, who was or is your favorite boy band? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. I'm done.